Welcome back to Mitchell County Cotton and Community with your local county extension agent, Marcus Proninger. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Tim Steffens. He got his bachelor's degree at Tarleton State University, his master's degree in animal nutrition at Texas Tech University, and his PhD at Colorado State University in rangeland ecology and management. He served in many different roles from an ag teacher to serving with NRCS, and now he's an associate professor at West Texas A&M with a joint extension appointment in rangeland management. Today we're going to talk about plant physiology and nutrition. Let's start with some basics on range plants. What do we need to know? Well, there's three basic kinds of plants. There's grasses, forbs, and shrubs. Now, everybody pretty well knows what grasses are. And, and the good part about grasses is that they have a lot of different growing points on them. And, and that's what makes them uh, resilient to grazing. Uh, you can you can remove quite a bit of leaf and they've still got a growing point to come back <clears throat> and so they're much more uh, capable of taking grazing than either the forbs or shrubs. <clears throat> forbs are kind of what most people call weeds and I, I don't like the term weeds because to me a weed is just a plant that's out of place. A forb is a broadleaf plant that isn't woody. Uh, quite often the forbs, we don't really think of them a lot of times as, as a forage plant, but a lot of times the quality that's out there during the growing season, and particularly in the winter you know, with some cool season forbs, a lot of the quality is in the forbs. The protein will be higher in them. Quite often the energy will even be higher. And my old, my old mentor on this, he used to talk about, he said, grass is the potatoes, the forbs are the steak. And so a lot of, if we can maintain a diversity of plants and have some of these high quality forbs, a lot of times we can really improve how the animals are doing. The problem with forbs is all their growing points are out on the ends of their branches. And so anytime they get bitten, it starts to hurt them. And so it's, it's particularly important on forbs, but it's also important on grasses that they get relieved of some grazing pressure now and again. Shrubs, are woody plants and so and and like the forbs their growing points are out on the ends of their branches a, a shrub regreens up out on the branches a forb has to come up from the ground every year and so that uh, there are some things you look at and you think well that's a that's a forb because it's little and low growing but if it greens up out on the ends of the branches every spring, it's probably a shrub. Shrubs, 
there are some that are really high quality, especially in the winter if they if they maintain maintain their leaves. Uh, one of the ones that I can think of that'll grow down in your country that's that's particularly good that way is four wing salt bush. Uh, shrubs will have higher phosphorus content and they'll maintain protein way late into the winter as long as they have their leaves. And so if you have a mix of all three of them, you can, you can maintain a high quality diet through a lot longer part of the year and not have to do so much supplementation. Yes, sir. And going back to the Forbes deal, I think it's important to think of them as Forbes and not weeds because weeds also has the negative connotation. A lot of our guys that are, are grazing are also, they're diversified and they're also farming. And so in this exact like you said, those weeds are just plants that are growing in the wrong place at the wrong time, especially in the farming aspect. But in the Absolutely. But with grazing management though, it still offers valuable resource for protein in their health. Yeah, up in my country, we have probably a little more farming than you do, and it just tears my soul out to drive along through the country and see people plowing up or spraying valuable forage resources like bindweed and, and pigweed and kochia and things like that that could be put to a really productive use and and they're spending money trying to get rid of it and so yeah you're right now they're not something you really want out in a field but maybe there's an opportunity there to you know make lemonade out of lemons maybe maybe in that off season or maybe even i mean i know a guy down in hale county he's grazing his cotton fields because he's gotten a lot of herbicide resistant pigweed he's got the cattle out there grazing the pigweed and they leave that leave the cotton alone by and large i mean i'm sure there's a little bit of trampling and stuff but i think one of the things that people need to keep in mind is how much would it cost you to go out there and control it versus how much are you losing in production by having something else that's out there as a as a profit center yes sir and i mean i was even when i was in college and working for some guys i was part of that problem <laughs> well we all live and learn i guess yes sir so i've always heard take half and leave half what causes a plant to be harmed by grazing well, take half leave half was probably a pretty good concept when it first came out because we didn't know any better. Uh, it it stemmed from some research that was done back in the 50s where they clipped grasses, I mean they were hand clipping them to a pretty low residual level all the way up to basically not very much taken at all. And what they found out was <coughs> that the Productive, the above ground productivity and the below ground productivity. Once you took about half of that leaf area, you hurt the it it sloughed off roots, and so you had a shallower root system with less uh, spreading out where it could get resources better, and 
you also stunted the growth above ground. And so they started telling people, well, take half and leave half and you're going to be all right. Well, in theory, that sounds like a great idea. And in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. But in practice, it isn't quite the same because those cattle never did learn to read and they didn't know they were supposed to just go take half of each plant and leave half of each plant as long as there was enough out there. And so what would happen is, even if you're, even if you're stocked fairly conservatively, those really palatable, generally higher producing plants, because it's easier to get half of a plant if a lot of it is sticking up high than it is if they're growing right against the ground, right? What happens is those big, productive, really palatable plants, the animals, when they find them, they're just like a kid on a buffet line at the Pizza Hut. When they find that good one, they take all of it and they leave something that's growing right beside it. On average, you're taking about half and leaving about half. But in practice, you're taking way too much of the good plants and you're leaving those less good plants. And that hurts that, hurts that defoliated plant's ability to, to compete for resources. It starts to get weaker and weaker and the plant that gets ungrazed gets stronger and stronger and eventually you lose those better plants. And as you lose them, then they move to the next best plant. And so you end up with these, these degraded areas that just expand like cancer over time. In a lot of cases, a lot of people don't even realize that it's bad because it's been degraded for so long. And that's one reason that I hate to hear people talk about sustainable management. I don't think we can stand sustainable management. Why do we want to sustain a degraded resource? Why don't we want to regenerate it to something that's better? And so that's, I mean, that's the good part. I mean, there's logic to the take half, leave half, but we need to, we need to worry about allowing those plants to regrow in between. The thing that, that harms a plant is when you remove the growing points. Now on a grass, and that's probably the one we ought to concentrate the most on. On a grass, when it first comes out in the, in the spring, that, that main growing point, the apical growing point, that's right down next to the ground. Now there's, there's the apical, apical growing point, that's what turns into the seed head. It's right down next to the ground. The apical growing point suppresses the basal growing points. They're down, they're what becomes the new stems next year. Long as that, that upper growing point is intact, it's suppressing those lower growing points. Then there's growing point right where the leaf joins the stem. If you take off the tip of that leaf, it just, it will make a new leaf, it'll, it'll extend that leaf from that growing point at the base of that, of the, 
of the blade of the leaf. When that apical growing point starts to elevate, starts to come up to make a, a seed head, if you clip that off, that stem is done. Now you may get some leaves to kind of keep going down low, but that stem is finished growing. It's not gonna make a seed head. Now that may be good and it may be bad. If you wanna if you wanna if you wanna thicken up a lawn, the thing you do is you mow it because it makes those basal buds that I talked about just a minute ago, they start to come out and you start to spread that plant out. And so you thicken the stand. The problem with using that logic on rangeland is a lot of times, by the time that, that growing point starts to elevate, we don't have a whole lot of growing season left. In that lawn, we've got all the water and we can fertilize it. We can do whatever we need to, to help it go ahead and express that ability to thicken up. In rangeland, it may be kind of dry and we don't get those basal buds to come. We lose that apical part and now we've weakened that plant altogether. The worst thing that can happen is if you have Oh, something like, like sorghum sudan, something that grows tall, uh, has a lot of leaf, is pretty palatable, but gets kind of stemmy. So they don't like to eat the stem, but they do love to eat the leaves. You get that growing up pretty tall. Same thing could happen with big blue stem or Indian grass or something like that. It gets to growing fairly tall. That, that, cow comes and she looks at it and she says boy there's a lot to eat there those leaves look good don't care much for the stem so they strip the leaves off and they take that leaf's growing point that's at the base of that of the blade of the leaf they strip it off they leave that top growing point intact so it suppresses those basal buds now it can't grow more leaves. It's not gonna grow any taller and it's not gonna put out any new, new tillers at the base of that plant. And so now you've heard it worse than if you'd have just mowed it off. And so all those things have a, have a re, can have a really severe effect on how that plant reacts to being grazed off. Now the good part about grazing is <clears throat> to get those basal buds to express themselves and become new stems, they've got to get a little bit of light at the base of the plant. If they don't, they just stay dormant. So a lot of times you'll go to uh, an old, an old uh, CRP field that hadn't been hadn't been mowed, hadn't been anything for a long time. And it looks pretty good because those plants are growing up pretty high. You can see a lot of cover and you think, boy, that looks good. And then you go out and walk through it and you'll notice 
the crown of the of, of a lot of those plants has got a little halo of green around the outside of it where you've got some tillers and the middle of it if you just reach and grab it you just pull out the middle of it and it looks like a monk's ring well what's happened is those middle tillers they couldn't get any any light at the base of them so they never express those new uh, those basal buds and never made new tillers in there and so all you've got left is a little bit around the outside that's alive and all the middle is dead and so you need to have defoliation occur every once in a while you just need to have plenty of time for it to regrow in between so we got a we've got to preserve enough leaf material when we when after that plant's bitten that we can regrow quickly so that we can get more roots and maintain those palatable desirable plants yes sir that's why it's important to know what you're looking at engage those plants while you're grazing those fields so you know when to move them as well you have to keep an eye on those plants that's right and again though you know some of those some of those really desirable plants they're gonna get bitten off pretty tight the secret is don't let that happen again until it's time uh, until they've regrown enough so we got to get those grazing periods short enough that we don't get that second bite while we're there and we got to get a period of deferment that's long enough that those plants that get bitten off can regrow. We got to have enough cover left, even of plants that weren't eaten, they count for this because that helps us get more rainfall back into the ground. We'll talk about that another time. Yes, sir. Tell us what happens to plants, but from the animal standpoint, how we manage grazing to allow the animal to do its best or do better. Okay. There's some good effects from the animal side of having a plant get bitten off. The regrowth that comes, the younger stuff, that's going to be more tender uh, have more cell contents in it that are highly digestible and so they tend to they tend to go back to that as a plant gets more mature the cell walls get thicker and they start to get more lignin in them and all lignin is is wood and so you end and those cell walls are less digestible than the cell contents and so you end up getting lower quality forages even though there may be plenty of it there and you know you'll hear a lot of people talk about washy grass uh, a lot of times they'll talk about especially if you get further east from either one of us where they say oh that grass is washy over there that cow can be standing knee deep in grass there and starved to death and and a lot of people think what that is is well it's it's wet country and so 
you know, everything is diluted in that plant. But if it if it's so wet and it's so high moisture that they can't eat enough of it, then they probably don't need a water trough. And all those cattle will need water over there. What's actually happening is those cell the faster that plant grows, the faster that cell wall needs to thicken just to keep help the plant hold itself up. And so you tend to lose quality quicker because you're getting thicker cell walls. So you have you have grass get away from you. It gets it gets ahead of you. It get, becomes more mature. And so coming and grazing it off at the right time is going to keep it regrowing. You don't get that apical growing point suppressing all the other stuff. And it's really important to get that in wetter country. In drier country, it's important to have the right amount of maturity, but it's a lot harder to get plants that are too mature. And so we need to we need to graze it, get off, and then let things grow back. There are a lot of plants that a lot of people think a lot of grasses particularly that people think of as oh man they ain't no good. Uh, down in your country Tobosa and they've got a little bit of a point with Tobosa. Even when it's great, it's not really. But Tobosa can be managed where if they've got some other stuff to mix with it, it will produce a lot of tonnage. The secret is we got to graze it off, get away, let it regrow back just enough to be where we've got some decent quality forage, but it hasn't gotten really mature and stemmy, and we can come back and graze it, and we can run a lot of cattle on that kind of stuff if we've got a little something for them to mix it with, where if we just have them turned out, they're going to leave that until the very end, and then they're eating a bunch of old, nasty, mature, stemmy stuff. It's like eating nothing but leftovers all your life. And so they don't like to eat it. What they do eat, they're not getting much good out of, and it ends up being bad for them. When, in a drought, we get the same. We we kind of have the same thing happening as the as the wet country, dry country kind of grass. It's just in the same country. If we stay stocked right, where the animals have plenty to eat, a lot of times our best animal performance is going to be in a dry year because that plant matures more slowly and we maintain quality for a longer period of time through the through the year if we're overstocked then they got nothing to eat if we've got uh if we've got the early season stuff a lot of people will say well they're just on washy grass and they can't you know they're not getting any good out of it 
well, those cell contents are really high quality. If you go, if you go pull some of that grass, send it in for analysis, it's going to be tremendously high quality. There just isn't very much of it. And so what's happening is they're running themselves to death, chasing out after candy, and they're passing by some stuff that they could mix with it and make a pretty decent living. And so in those cases, we may want to concentrate the animals, make them eat some of the young stuff with some of the older stuff, and they can still make a living, and we let the grass get at, get up a little bit further out in front of us and we'll and we'll do a little better job taking care of those animals coming back if if we stay in there too long they just come back on to the regrowth and we end up with multiple grazings on the same plants and we're back to hurting them compared to the to their neighbors that aren't quite so good yes sir it's a bit of a balancing act trying to do both at the same time not leave them on there too long and move them too quickly yeah it's 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 like we talked about the first time the, in the first session of this yeah all the grazing management is is having the right animals at the right place at the right time for the right reasons you know at the right frequency and and that's all we got to do it's simple it just ain't necessarily easy exactly some things are easier in theory than they are in practice yeah how do you manage uh grazing to take care of both the plants and the animals well, we, we've talked a little about on the plants uh, that we've got to let them put together a full array of leaves before we come back to them uh you know one a friend of mine he went through my school and and he said well how do i do that and i said well i mean there's lots of different ways so you can look at plants that weren't grazed and see if the ones that were grazed you know kind of look like them before you come back there's what he ended up doing <clears throat> he'd go out close to the water where most of the plants you know were were grazed off and he get, he just got some little surveyor flags and he'd he'd pick certain ones and he'd put a flag by them and then he'd bend like a l in the in the little wire that made that holds the flag up and he'd he'd put the flat part of it as high as what the leaves were right when he left the pasture and then he'd bend up on the other end of it where he could see how how high they went up and he just watched the rate of growth on those plants and that way he knew about how fast he needed to move to be coming back when he ought to have plenty of regrowth uh, you know we can't do anything about how how the animals will affect an individual or how much how much leaf they're going to take off of an individual plant what we can have some control over is how often that happens and how long till they come back the 
we talked about the good things that happen as a result of that. We get younger growth. We take away that overstory and we get some light at the base of the plant. We may be able to get that crown to get bigger and so forth. The bad part is we've removed its ability to make food and so we stunt those those roots. The good part about that is that feeds the soil microbes that turn over nutrients and kind of get things back. It's a matter of timing. From an animal standpoint, <coughs> they've got to be, I mean, there's a whole mix of stuff out there. Some of it that's really good, some of it that's not very good at all, some of it that may even be poisonous. Their, their job is they've got to mix enough of the good stuff with enough of the bad stuff to meet their requirements. So we've got to give them the ability to, to select a diet of adequate quality and get enough in them over the period of a day and it shouldn't take more than about oh, 10 hours of grazing to get that done if we want to have pretty good animal performance. So they got to be able to go find it. They got to know which plants to eat. They got to know in some cases what combinations to put them in because lots of plants have some kind of toxin to them. Some toxins cancel each other out so they can eat a little of this one and a little of this other one and they can eat more of each than they would if they ate them separately. What happens if we just let them go out there and eat what they want? They're going to eat the good stuff first and then a little bit less good stuff next and over time then they get down to they ain't got much at all that's out there that's going to do them much good. Think of it Think of it like a bunch of high school football players at a buffet line. They're going to take all the good stuff first. Nobody else has got anything else to eat that they want. And every time something else comes back out that's any good, they just attack it like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. And eventually the management decides if we ever want to get rid of these guys, we got to quit putting out the good stuff, and they do. Same thing happens with those plants and those animals. If we, if we can teach them to eat those other plants that may not be all that desirable, but uh, they keep body and soul together and they can do all right if they can mix them with something else at the same time. We can increase carrying capacity. We can maintain animal performance and we can do ourselves a lot of good financially. But to do that, we've got to get them to eat all those things at one, you know, pretty close to the same time rather than have them string it out. Because if they figure out, you know, this stuff is awful, they never will eat it. If they figure out, it, it, it's like teaching your kids to eat their vegetables. They don't really like them all by, if that's all they got to eat. But if you say, son, you get your ice cream if you eat, 
if you eat your peas, they go ahead and eat it and then you move them somewhere else. We move them away long enough to get that optimum maturity on the plants. We have plenty of it out there. It's growing in a, in a shape where they can get a big full bite every time they take a bite. So it doesn't take them long to get all that they need to eat. And everything, everything gets better kind of simultaneously. Yes, sir. We thank you for your time. This is all we have time for today. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Well, Kevin, me and I look forward to talking to you again here in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Dr. Steffens. Thank you for listening to Mitchell County Cotton and Community. Remember, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service is here to serve every Texan. So feel free to contact us at 325-728-3111 or at my email, marcus.proninger at ag.tamu.edu.